Well, even though we're well in the fall right now, uh, I got to thinking as I prepared this message a little bit about a word that God wants me to bring to you today, which I think is a timely word for your life. I was thinking about this past summer when I, when I took two trips. One was with uh, Dan and Lindsay, and we went to Europe for a few days. And then the second trip was with my uh, other son, Jeff, and his wife, Kelly, and their three kids. And that was a family trip uh, to Hawaii. And uh, it was great. Marguerite and I celebrated this last summer our 51st wedding anniversary. And since we didn't really do anything special on our 50th, literally nothing. We asked people, no party, no big thing. Over the years, the church has done huge things. Family's done huge things. We said, nah, we, we, we just went out to dinner that night for our 50th. So this past summer for our 51st, you know, we probably took celebration to the max, baby, with these, with these two wonderful summer trips. I bring it up because it got me to thinking on this subject. How do you pack for life's journey? Uh, what are some travel tips that pastor might have for you as we just travel through life? In the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 9, uh, the word tells us, it says, a man's heart plans his way. You know, we can plan our life, but the Lord directs his steps. I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say, man, I thought my life was going to head this way, and God just took it, you know, that way. And you'll look back on your life and go, I'm so glad he did. I may have never been good enough, but I wanted to be a baseball player. My whole life, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. But for a lot of different reasons, God took me a different direction. And boy, I am so glad he did. The only thing I have a little bit of regret about is had I ever made it in baseball, which probably 100 to 1 shot, even at that, but think how much money you would have made. And even then, I thought I would never trade that for what God has done in my life in being able to help equip people. And I want to help you as you are, are, are equipped with a few good travel tips about how to pack and how to prepare uh, this journey of life. When Jesus sent out uh, during his earthly ministry, when he sent him out to go do some ministry, Luke chapter 9, he says this. Here's some packing tips he gave him then. Take nothing for your journey. That's not always good advice, but in this case, it was excellent advice. Jesus says, take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick. Greek there says a staff, which, which they would use for walking, for protection. It would help them ward off any you know, animals that might come to attack them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. He says, on this particular trip, I'm going to take care of you. So we can see that God cares about where we're going to head. And even though we can plan, he's going to take care of where our steps actually lead us. Then for the main passage, which is a very touching passage to me, it comes from 2 Timothy, the last chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And these are the last words that we have anyway that Paul ever wrote. Uh, and so, in fact, let me just start off by just reading it to you. Second Corinthians, Second Timothy, rather, chapter four. Remembering that Timothy is the closest thing Paul had to blood family. As far as we know, Paul was never married, didn't have any kids. Uh, in fact, he talks about the benefits of being single in in, uh, in Corinthians. But Timothy was almost more than a spiritual son. So he's writing uh, instructions and a little bit of a goodbye. Uh, to his spiritual son, Timothy. We know he knows he's going to 
pass away pretty soon because he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll start in verse 6, Paul says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He's talking about his death. Interesting to me that Paul views even his death as, as an offering to the Lord. He's being poured out as a, as a drink offering, and he views death as not the end. He calls it his departure. <laughs> He's being relocated uh, to a new location. He goes on to say in verse 7, uh, here, a famous passage, man. I could read this verse and leave, and it would have been a good message. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those are three good words of encouragement right there. Fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. Verse 8, now there is, because he did those three things, he says, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So Paul is saying, this is available to you as well. Now look at these very personal words. I want to read some more here. Uh, I want to read these personal words because we tend to kind of let this stuff go in one ear and out the other, or if we're reading, our minds are someplace else because it kind of seems like stuff that doesn't really relate to us directly because Paul is, is sharing some very personal things to him at that time as, as he's facing the last of his days. He tells Timothy, he says, do your best to come to me quickly. And at one place, he says, come before winter, because he knows what's winter. once winter uh, locks in there in the Mediterranean, travel back in those days became very, very difficult. He says, Timothy, do your best to come quickly. I, I, I want to see you before I leave. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. And I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one who's had to face people who I thought were really good believers. We're going to hang in there with the Lord, you know, just decided to go off and to do something else. Paul knows what that's like. He goes on to say, these guys haven't necessarily backslid, but they're not there. He says, Crescens has gone to Galatia. He says, Titus has gone to Dalmatia. He says, only Luke is with me. That's right, the same Luke that wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, the physician. He says, only Luke's with me right now. See, where is Paul? He's in prison in Rome. He, then he says, get Mark and bring him with you. That can preach. Because do you know that Paul and, wasn't it, was it Paul and Barnabas? Yeah, in the book of Acts, had a big fight over this guy, John Mark, because John Mark had flaked out on him, hadn't finished a, a one of their missionary trips, got homesick, and so when they got home and got ready to go on another one, John Mark shows up, and Paul goes, hey, man, you flaked out. You aren't, you aren't coming. Barnabas got mad at Paul, and they had a big dispute. Paul was mad at Barnabas. Barnabas was bad at Paul, and it was all about John Mark. It was so, it was so severe that they split. I think that's when Paul picked up Silas and then Barnabas, we don't hear much about, but Barnabas went and did his thing. Because Paul, Barnabas was like, come on, Paul, we preach forgiveness. Give the kid another chance. Paul was like, nope, not with me. You know, I'm sure he's going to go to heaven, but he ain't going to travel with me anymore. Now, later in his life, Paul sees, man, I may have been too harsh. He's actually asking for Mark. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. Well, that's a beautiful statement of reconciliation because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Thank you, Paul. 
I like it when great men and women have to admit they were wrong. Mark, who I didn't like back in the day, flaked out on us. He's now useful to me. I want to see him again before I go. He says, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Now he says, when you come, Timothy, bring the cloak. It's like an outer garment. Bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the, the parchments. That's like saying, bring some of the books. I, I'd like to do some reading parchments and some writing before I go. Then he notes this. We, these things, we don't even think much about it. He, Paul lived through this, just like stuff we live through. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Who are some of the haters you're facing right now that are more than simply online haters irritating you, people that have actually done harm to your, to your career, to your family, to whatever it might be. Paul says, hey, I faced, I faced this guy, Alexander. Then Paul says, I'm gonna, I don't have to pay him back. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. But then he does warn Timothy, says, you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. So you know what? God will take care of him, Timothy, but watch out for Alexander. Then Paul goes on to say this. He says, at my first defense, no one came to my support. That's rough. This guy who had been there for so many other people for so many years is on trial in Rome. And at first, Paul says, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. I want to let this sink in right now because some of you know what it's like to feel betrayal, to feel desertion, to feel like sometimes those you people you've helped the most aren't there for you. What's the old saying? No good deed goes unpunished. And Paul says, everyone deserted me. Then he goes, may it not be held against them. I, I, don't, I don't think Paul was being sarcastic here. I think he meant it. Uh, you know, they were probably, God, don't hold it against them. Kind of like when Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Then Paul says this, ooh, this is good. But the Lord stood by my side, and God is standing by your side right now too, no matter what you're going through, and gave me strength, and he's gonna give you strength too, no matter who's not standing with you, who has backstabbed you, who has betrayed you, I promise you, God will never ever leave you, never ever forsake you, and my God will not let you down. He will give you strength as he gave Paul strength, so that through the me, that through me, rather, Paul writes, the message might be fully pro proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And then he closes by saying, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Some scholars think that was literal. Most scholars think it's, it was like a saying because they said the lions weren't released yet in the Colosseum. You know, we've seen those in movies when they put the Christians in there in the arena just to entertain the Roman crowds and lions come out and tear them to bits. Some scholars actually believe if Paul had that happen to him, God, God saved him. Or it could just be a saying as well, the way things are, were said. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. I know I'm about to leave here. I know my days aren't long, but as long as I am here, I'm not gonna die before I die. I'm gonna keep on living and God's gonna bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. What do we need? What are some travel tips that we kind of see in these, in these passages and that Dr. Jim might have for you as, as your pastor? What might I say to you? Well, one, no, if, I, if you like taking notes, I have a few points here, <laughs> if it helps. Number one, understand the pact. 
or understand the covenant, understand the mission. If you're gonna make it through life, that is critical. Have you ever thought about when you become a Christian, what did Jesus call you for? I'm having memories right now of being a little kid in Sunday school decades ago. How long, what is this, 60 plus? I'm thinking maybe this is 60 plus years ago when I was taught this old song. Probably one or two of you are old enough to remember it. But as little kids in Sunday school, it was a children's song. I will make you fishers of men. I remember what we used to do, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. When I gave my life to Jesus, I gave my life to follow him. That's part of the pact. I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna represent Jesus, I'm gonna do everything I can. And by the way, even if you're not a preacher, you're not a so-called minister, you're not a clergy, do you know that if you've been called to be a Christian, you are already in the full-time ministry? No matter what your occupation is, in other words, what occupies your time and pays the bills, brings the bacon home, whatever your occupation is, your vocation, your calling is to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, we, need, we need to understand that that's the pact, that's the deal, that's the covenant. And the great commission, which means all, while all of us have our own particular unique callings and giftedness and things we're, you know, we're supposed to do, all unique, special, perfectly designed to us, there is an overarching great commission. It's a mission that's common or code to all of us, and that is to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. People used to ask me, well, if you're a pastor, what business are you in? I would commonly say, I am in the discipleship development business. In Matthew there, chapter 28, when Jesus says that, to go into all the world, the English makes it sound like the command is go. But in the original Greek, all of those words are what are called participles, I-N-G verbs, or as I was a kid, helping verbs. And helping verbs are never the main verbs. The main verb in the Great Commission is to make disciples. That's the finite verb. It's not the participle. It is the main verb. How do you make disciples? By going and baptizing and teaching. So I am in, you are in, the discipleship development business understand the pack. So wherever we go through life, that's why we're here. Man, I hope you have a career that's fulfilling. What's the old saying that, you know, you've really succeeded in life. If, if, if you don't ever have to work, you just get into your passion and somehow you end up getting in a career that's, you know, you can be remunerated or whatever in your passion. But if you're a Christian, and I pray you can have that, but an even overarching greater call is to grow up as a believer yourself, to have the abundant life of Jesus, and to bring others into it. Not just to try to get them to accept Jesus, but to try to see, see them develop as people. We need to, if we're gonna travel through life successfully, just like when we go any place, we ought to pack, we, in other words, pack our, whatever we're gonna take in our, in our suitcases, we need to pack with the destination in mind. That's common sense. 
I already told you that last summer we went to Europe and we packed very differently for Europe than we did on the second trip with, uh, with our other son and his family, which was to Hawaii. In Europe, we were going to be changing planes a lot. We had to rent a car. Therefore, we had to get a carry-on. And for however long it was, we had to fit everything we wanted to take into a carry-on. And I found out that European standard carry-ons are smaller than American standard carry-ons. So we had to get special new carry-on things. And we had, to, we had to keep that in mind. Had to find out what's the weather going to be? Where are we going to go? What's the minimum of what I need to take <laughs> in this little small carry-on suitcase? because we don't like to have to pack luggage to check luggage in. So we, that, that part was our choice. You know, I, yeah, we could have done that, but we, we just did that carry on. In other words, that determines Hawaii was different. Hawaii, we were gonna stay in one place the whole time we're there. We had a beautiful room with a beautiful view there. Um, I wanted to golf and I tossed around whether or not to rent clubs or to take clubs, but since they were gonna check in luggage, I thought, well, I'll, I'll just check in my golf clubs. It's all different. If you're gonna go skiing, whether it's up in Mammoth or the Swiss Alps, that's different. Yeah, you could rent skis. You got you got to figure all that out. Um, I have family right now that's doing the Pacific Crest Trail. I remember when Reese Witherspoon did that old movie. I think it was called Wild, in which you know she the movie was about her after some hurtful relationships, just taking off from the border of Mexico south all the way to the border of Canada in the north. I think it's around 2,600 miles of hiking. It's called the Pacific Crest Trail. Well, if you're gonna go on that journey, how you pack's gonna be really different. You gotta fit everything into, you know, to try to have enough to make it, but not so heavy where you can't walk. Gonna go, so all of that is good. In fact, while I'm talking about this, when I'm raising my family, I like to do this as a father and a grandfather. Maybe this can help you out. But I like to tell my kids and my grandkids, wherever you want to move towards, think about even in things like eventually how you dress, how you talk, how you look, all of that towards where you want to go. You know, if you came from the hood, come from the suburbs, come from whatever, and let's say you want to become a doctor and you want to get into medical school, well, a lot of stuff, how you're going to live your life is determined by that. It's not determined so much about, about where you've been. So watch, it. watch this. This is big now. To succeed in life and to walk with God is not so much about where you've been, or even where you are right now, it's about packing towards where God is taking you on all that. So here's my question to you right now. Where is God taking you? One of my primary jobs as, as a pastor, I'm the founding pastor. Sounds like I'm bragging, and if I boast, let me boast in the Lord. But when I was, how old was I when I see? I was in my 20s when faith started. I want to say I was 27 uh, when Faith Community Church started. I think that's accurate. And now I'm 71. And from the very beginning, my passion when I launched Faith from scratch with nobody was to become a leader, a pastor, who did not do all the ministry at the church and the people would come and sit in pews or sit in chairs or sit in the congregation in the audience on Sunday and watch me do all the ministry. Watch me teach, watch me sing, whatever, put on the show. And during the week, I would do all the ministry. Anyone sick, I visit them. Um, 
They used to joke about the ministerial duties being hatching, matching, and dispatching. You know, you do all the uh, hatching, baby dedications, the matching, the marriages, and the dispatching, all the funerals, sending someone on to heaven. No, I really believe my job as a leader was one of the primary things was to do what I called equipping ministry. Let me read what Paul says in Ephesians about the gifts that Jesus gave to the church. Ephesians 4 says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. And then he lists five, some would say four. They say the fourth one is a dual thing. But he says, here's the gifts that Jesus gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He says, their responsibility, this isn't me now, this is Paul in the Word, their responsibility is to do all the ministry. Nope. To do all the preaching. Not necessarily. No. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So I believe one of my primary jobs always has been in everything I do to try to equip and empower and train God's people to do the work of the ministry. So over the year, Pastor, I have a friend who's sick. Well, great. I'd love to come see him if I can, but why don't you go see him? Well, I can't pray. I don't know. Well, yeah, you can. Just try. You, you know him better than I do. In other words, all of it, let's get equipped. I know we're not there yet. We're all what do you want to call it? Diamonds in the rough <laughs> on that. And your ministry may not be my ministry. You know, some people are outgoing. Some people are more, you know, introverts, all these different things. But still, I want to equip you to become better at who God has called you to be on all that. And, and don't ever forget, as you go through the journey of life anyway, really, who you become in the eyes of the Lord is just as important maybe even more important than what you ever achieve. In fact, I think it is. I think the journey we go through in life, the packing we do for that, all the detours we have to take, in the journey we go through in life, God is more interested in building character than he is anything else. In fact, I think that's sometimes why it takes a while for a lot of God's best people to succeed in what they've been called to do. You know, I've always thought that slow success builds character, and fast success tends to build ego. Let me say that again. I think slow success can build character. Fast success, so-called overnight success, runs the danger of just building ego. That's why as we travel through life, as I'm giving you some travel advice here, direction is way more important than speed. Let me say that again. Direction is way more important than speed. And since we're on that journey, that journey might seem slow because direction is more important than speed. Let's remember encouragement becomes critical. I'm going to run out of time here, but I just want to let you know encouragement is the fuel that sustains hope. That's why we need, that's why the Bible says we should not forsake the assembling of, of, of ourselves together in Hebrews, but we should assemble together and even more so as we see the day approaching and getting even closer and closer because we need to be there to encourage one another because encouragement becomes the fuel that sustains hope that keeps us going on. It's like in my electric vehicle, I got to make sure I go to a charger, I have a Tesla, so I, I might have to go if I'm on the road to a supercharger. You got to stop by gas stations if you you have a, 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 a gas-fueled car. 
So you, you need that, and you need to be an encourager. So I hope there are cheerleaders in your life that can help you on your journey, and I hope you are a cheerleader to somebody else as, as well. Okay, I'm going to run out of time, so I'm kind of editing right here right now as I'm talking to you. So what have I told you so far? I said you need to understand the pack. You need to understand the, the covenant, the mission. You need to pack with the destination in mind. Um, also, then you need to unpack to impact. So, so let me say this part quickly. The whole reason you pack, duh, is to unpack. And when you're in the ministry and you're going through life, you want to unpack to impact. See, God fills you with things because he wants you to deliver those blessings to someone else. You've heard the old trite sayings, but they're true. Just because they're old sayings, don't write them off as being stupid. Things like, hey man, I am blessed to be, I can almost hear you, we're blessed to be a blessing. Uh, and, and before I run out of time completely, can I give you a, a final little word here, a, a little word of challenge? I mean to make this another message sometime because I got so much to say about this. But when you're on a journey, when, when you're traveling, don't let unexpected turns spoil the trip. I'm going to say that again. Don't let unexpected turns spoil the, the, the trip. I... Uh, it's not really funny. It's actually sad, um, but it kind of does make me smile. There's a little bit of a chuckle to it, though it is a sad chuckle. Uh, I actually personally know more than one couple that got divorced during COVID. You may know some people. <laughs> they were just, I, again, I shouldn't laugh, but they were just together almost too much. People say, well, COVID you know, did them in. Maybe, I'm thinking right now of an old song by a, a group that some of you may remember called The Casting Crowns. I think it was one of their biggest songs called Slow Fade. The point is that most time when we get to these unexpected things, particularly the damaging ones, a marriage that falls apart because one or both of the partners ends up having an affair, it rarely happens overnight. It's normally a, a slow fade. Let me just quote from that song. It's uh, from Casting Crowns. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray and thoughts invade, choices made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Uh, you know, it's just uh, sad to see that people get taken out in their life journey by, by some of these twists and turns. If I'm talking to someone today who's been through a divorce, I want to let you know there's life after divorce. You know, sometimes we just have to get over it. Even if, God forbid, you were the person who now in hindsight would have to say, I'm pretty much the cause of the divorce. I know it takes two to tango. It's never, ever one-sided. But, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's... it's just, just keep going. And sometimes when, when you go through twists and turns, it's just twists and turns that are going to put you in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. Let me end with this thought right now. Have you ever heard the old saying, all's well that ends well? Uh, I know that's just a worldly saying, but I remember that because in God, you will never find God ending on a negative. Let me say that again. You will never find God 
ending on a negative. So that with God, I'm not sure this is really true in the world, if it currently isn't well, that just simply means it isn't the end yet. I love in the book of Psalms, chapter 126, verses 5 and 6, where the writer says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. That's like saying, man, you may, may be in this season of tears right now, but before it's over, it's going to turn around. God will turn your mourning into dancing. He can, he can turn those things around. And of course, probably the most famous verse in the Bible on this issue is Romans 8.28, where Paul declares, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, to those who are on this life journey. I want to say a couple things. Number one, it does not say everything that happens is good. Even for the believer, it says God can work it together for good. And that's not promised to everyone. That verse says it's for those who love God and are on the journey that God has called them to, are called according to his purpose. I believe that if you don't quit, you can't fail. There is nothing that can stop you. And while the all's well that ends well is just a worldly saying that from many perspectives, probably isn't completely true. In God, it is true that he never ends on a negative. He is working all things together for your good as long as you hang in there loving him and keep walking in his purpose.